Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Um, I'm really excited to share a word for you guys uh, and a little terrified, if I'm being honest. Um, the Lord gave me a cool word that I want to share, but let's recap the last couple of weeks. We've been going through a series called Family Values, and it's where we've been giving language to things that we see in our body, and we just want to call them out all the more. And Austin's gone through five so far, and number one was gospel-obsessed. Number two was we're family. Number three was kingdom people. Number four was generosity is our response. And then number five last week was joy is our default. And if you missed any of those, especially if you call this place your church home, I would highly recommend you go back, you listen to them, because that's how we want to be as a church, how we want to act as people meet us. And so this week, we're taking a quick break in a series. Although that doesn't mean we're getting too far away from the family values. I would say actually today's message is going to squarely fit under the we're family umbrella if I had to place it somewhere. And I'm just going to take some extra time today uh, to unpack and certainly take some care of looking into this we're family value. So we're looking at parenting specifically. And specifically we're going to be looking at spiritual parenting. And when the Lord <laughs> told me that this is uh, what I was going to preach on. I got a little nervous because, you know, I'm 27 years old. And you might be sitting there, much older than me, more wise than me. And maybe you've got some high schoolers running around in your home wreaking havoc. You might be saying to yourself, where the heck does this 27-year-old get off telling me how to parent or be a better parent? <laughs> and that's fair. I totally get that. Or maybe you're a kid yourself or you're, you're young. And you don't have kids yet, but you want to have kids, or maybe you just don't know how kids fit into your equation yet, and you're asking, okay, if this is going to be about parenting, how, how do I fit into this equation? And to that second crowd, I have an answer for you. You are vital, you are important, you are essential to our church body, but just hang on for a second, because I want to address the parents first. Those of you that were in that first question, if you had that question, jumped out to you. And you're asking, hey, what, what authority do you have? Honestly, I don't have any authority. <laughs> I actually just, the authority alone belongs to the Father. And that's where I'm going to reside today, is in his authority alone. And today I'm just trying to come with some sincere obedience and hopefully calling to encourage our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, the kids, the brothers, the sisters, the mothers, whatever, I'm here to hopefully bring a word of encouragement this morning because I think we are in a time where we desperately need it. After all, we're family. And so the Lord revealed to me a couple weeks ago when he told me that I was gonna be preaching on parenting and I got really nervous, he actually revealed something to me, so gracious, that I actually have more experience parenting than maybe I realized. So I did some math and I had a stretch in my life where I was parenting five days a week, eight hours a day for 570 days of my life. It was when I was a public school teacher. And you might laugh, you might smirk or whatever at that, but let me just remind you of two years ago, 
about the, the, the appreciation you gained for teachers when suddenly teens were thrust back into their homes with no warning when COVID struck, right? And parents suddenly realized, oh man, my teacher does a lot, right? And you might've forgotten what teachers do for you. You might've forgotten some of the appreciation that you have for them because of the political climate that we're in. But I wanna take a quick, a quick moment here just, just, just to remind you how important teachers are. Because oftentimes, especially where we live, teachers are overworked, underpaid, and criminally underappreciated. And I can speak from experience when I say that a $10 Starbucks gift card goes so far for a teacher because oftentimes they're only interacting with a parent who wants to pick a bone with them. And so let's not be those people. Let's be people that have a positive interaction with our teachers. Yes, there are times and places where we need to have questions for a teacher and we need to confront them. But does it need to be every single time that we meet with them? And so that's just total tangent. Sorry, but I thought it was important. So thankfully, weeks ago, the Lord reminded me of some things that I've done as a spiritual parent and some of the experiences I've had. I have had that belligerent child who has no desire to obey whatever it is you say or want them to do. And in my case, it was in my classroom. And you're doing nothing short of pleading the blood of Jesus over them for obedience, but to no avail. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. I've also had moments where I have delivered discipline in such a harsh manner that I had to ask the kid for forgiveness and I had to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Because although the discipline may have been just, I carried it out in a very poor manner. And I've also been in that moment where a kid asks you a question and you've never heard that question before and you suddenly realize just how profoundly stupid you might be because you've never thought about that before. <laughs> and I've also had those moments with kids where they break down crying because of the loss of a loved one or some heinous mistreatment that they've experienced. And I've encouraged them. I've spoke words of healing over them. I've hugged them if they've needed it. And yes, of course, I spoke to them that there is a God who loves them, who cares about them, and wants to be with them. So no, church, I don't have a ton of experience parenting my little seven-month-old Harvey. But I do have stories upon stories, hours upon hours of spiritual parenting in times where I called a kid my own. I adopted them into my family. And this gets, exact, this gets to exactly what I wanna talk about today. And what the Lord has been illuminating to me for these last couple of weeks. And I've been wrestling with it. And today, if nothing else, I want to invite you into that wrestle of what it looks like to be a spiritual parent. And some of the questions I had for the Lord were these. Lord, where do the empty nesters and zone kids overlap? Lord, what's the role of high schoolers and middle schoolers and single people and early college kids in our church family? Lord, how will my kids interact with the other spiritual parents of our church? And these were just a couple of the questions that I had, and hopefully I'm able to provide some of the answers through his word. But before we get there, let's look at some terms. I want to define some terms. You can throw them up there, Judy. 
The first one is spiritual parent. Definition number one of spiritual parent. I'm going to use both of these definitions kind of interchangeably today. I'll be sure to try and flag and make sure you know which one I'm using, but let's read them real quick. Spiritual parent number one, a biologically related or legally responsible adult that endeavors to raise up a child in the ways of following Jesus. These are primary parents. These are the people who are in the household day in and day out, walking with their kiddos. But there's a second type of spiritual parent, and I've already used it before, before this, but let's read it. Any influential person in a child's life who has the opportunity to push a child towards Jesus or pull them away from Jesus. And so this message today is hopefully going to put the weight of that second definition in its right place. Because if you're a single person or you're a high schooler or a middle schooler or someone young, this might be the very first time or even an empty nester. You might be realizing, oh man, my, my parenting isn't over. And this is why today's message is called Better Together. Because I believe as a church, our families in the church are stronger and are better when we do it together. And so that's where we're headed. Now, how many of you have heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Yeah, so you, you've heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's true. But if we leave that child to the village, they could literally turn out to be anything, good or bad. And let's take some of the villages that we have here in town. Uh, Loveland High School or any of, any of the other schools. Your kid goes to that school, attends a school here in town, and they're being influenced by the people in that village. That's a village that they belong to. And I've been to those basketball games. I've coached a couple of those basketball games. I've been to a football game, soccer game, volleyball game, band concert, whatever it is, I've been to it. And some of those villages are brutal. Am I right? And whether we like it or not, those villages are influencing our kids. And today, I want to contend that it isn't a village that raises a child. It's a whole church family that raises a child. And so that's part of what we're going to be looking at today. Because we have many, many spiritual children in our body as a church. But we also have many spiritual parents too. And I believe that every young person and every elderly person has an essential part to play in our spiritual family here at the church. So yes, that was just the intro. Let's buckle in. We're in for a good ride. So where do we begin looking when we have a question like, what does it mean to be a body of spiritual parents? The same place we should always begin when we have a pressing question in our life, the word of God. So we're going to start with Deuteronomy 6. Now, I have called this section of my sermon The Call because this is, to me, the call that we have all answered as parents to our kids. This is what we are called to do. And so it says in Deuteronomy 6, it's a popular one. That's gotten a lot of play around here recently. It's also known as the Shema. So here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children 
You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then another one, Proverbs 22. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old and he will not depart from it. And then my personal favorite, Psalm 78, verses two through eight. I'm gonna read this whole thing for you. It's so good. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So good. So these three passages have a very important common thread that I want to tug on here for just a second. As spiritual parents, we have a responsibility to pass our faith on to the next generation. We see that in these three passages. And so it's our role as the primary disciples to kids to contextualize the gospel for a new generation. And that's a big deal. I'm your youth pastor, okay? I'm your youth pastor. I'm 27 years old. I'm young, relevant, and maybe relatable. But guess what, parents? You are essential. You are lasting. And for all intents and purposes on this side of heaven, you are permanent. Any youth pastor in my position is going to pale in comparison to the influence that parents can have on their kids' spiritual walk. I am best utilized as a tool in your tool belt, someone to call in a sticky situation, or maybe someone who can catalyze a conversation that needs to happen. But I cannot be the primary discipler of 50 plus kids that I only see for at most an hour and a half a week, maybe another hour if we go to lunch, maybe. But that's just a couple years of their life. Yeah, it's, they're in important years of their life. But parents, I don't text my youth pastor anymore. I haven't for over 10 years. But you know who I do call when I'm in need of something? My parents sat in that third row of first service. I call them. I call my dad. I call him Mufasa. That's who he is to me. That's what he is in my phone. And so when I need something, I call Mufasa. Or maybe I call mama if Mufasa doesn't answer, right? And they're there. That's what parents do. They are there for me. They're always there. They stick around through thick and thin. You see, I can't be a parent for any of the kids on the third floor, not in the way that you parents can be. And so I just want to remind you that you are just so essential. Parents, by and large here at Good Shepherd, I am encouraged because we have answered the call. So many, I see so many great parents in our body who have answered this call to contextualize the gospel for another generation. 
But there are some of us who just need to know what's at stake here. And this passage of scripture that I'm about to share with you is the first real check in my heart that I've had since raising Harvey as a parent, thinking about the lifelong journey that I have ahead of me and being a parent. So I call this the check because this check came while I was reading a book called Spiritual Parenting. And it was, it's by Michelle Anthony, if you've ever heard of it. But if you're curious, yes, it is an excellent book and you should read it. It primarily deals with that first definition of spiritual parent that I talked about. It's really good. It's really good and really convicting in moments too. Early on in her book, Michelle Anthony talks about a verse, an obscure verse to me at first, Luke 18, 8. We can put it up there. I tell you, he will give you justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So it seems a little weird, maybe a little out of place. But this comes out of the parable of the persistent widow, which, if you can guess, is a parable about a persistent widow. It's really good. But there's this judge in her town. He does not respect man, nor does he fear God. And so she pesters him. She's persistent. She says, hey, give me justice. Obviously, something happened in her life that she needed justice, and so she's calling out for justice. And Jesus relates it to us as believers. When we are in a tough time, sometimes we're gonna be calling out for justice. And he said, surely, right, he will give justice to them speedily. But then he ends with this haunting phrase that feels almost unrelated. And he says, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Church, Jesus is coming back, Right? It's exciting stuff. It's great. I can't wait for him to come back. It's going to be amazing. But something dawned on me when I read that. He's going to be looking for faith when he comes back. And I'm responsible for Harvey. And I'm responsible for Harvey having some kind of faith. It's me, my wife, Sarah, who usually sits right there. And the Holy Spirit's job to make sure Harvey encounters the Lord and has a faith of his own. We're a great trio, if I do say so myself, the three of us. <laughs> but one part of that trio has to abide in the other for it to show up in the other person's life, right? That's right, Sarah and I have to be abiding in the Holy Spirit for him to meet Harvey, right? For us to actually bring the Holy Spirit into his life. Well, Taylor, isn't one parent enough? Isn't isn't there a, a space for single parents? What about single parents? What about non-traditional families? Church families, some of the most incredible kids I have ever met in my life came from single parents or non-traditional families. So is the Holy Spirit enough for them? Yes, absolutely. He makes up the gap where there is not a second primary parent in the home or a, a broken family or whatever it is. The Holy Spirit is more than enough to equip those families. And he makes up the difference because he is faithful and he is good. But what about the more traditional parents? Where there's two primary parents in the household. Can't Sarah just show Harvey how to pray and how to read God's word? Absolutely she can, and she will. And she's gonna do an incredible job of it. But I undermine every single moment that Sarah has with Harvey if I myself am not living a transformed life by Jesus, if I'm not also getting into the trenches, right? 
and praying with him and teaching him how to read God's word. You see, sometimes it's so easy for a kid to find a different way of life in the household that all they have to do is go from upstairs to downstairs to see someone who doesn't prioritize their faith. And that's a scary thought. The check came hard and heavy in this moment for me. Because Michelle makes it pretty clear that we should be demonstrating and modeling our faith to our kids. Michelle explains a really cool, I think what all parents want in our kids. Let me just read this. It's really good. Uh, She says, we want our kids to be God-fearing, Holy Spirit-dependent, miracle-working Jesus followers that pray daily, know God's word, and hear from him regularly. I mean, come on, that's what we want as parents, right? But you can't pass a faith onto those kids that you do not yourself possess. Haunting, isn't it? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Oof. This is back up to the call. Are you modeling what it looks like to, to, to fear God, to love him, to know him? Are you telling them about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done? Are you telling your kids so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children, like it says in Psalm 78? Are our kids seeing us get up early and pray and spend time in his word? Are they hearing us thank God for his providence? Are they there when we're leaning on God and only he can come through in a moment and in that time because we need him to? Are we inviting them into those spaces? And sometimes we fall short. That happens, we're human. But thankfully, this is where our church family gets to come in because we have a whole body of believers that can back us up. And so I call this the glue because the spiritual family is the glue that keeps families together oftentimes. Yes, parents, you are the primary disciplers in your household. But thankfully, I've seen it. Our church is full of heavy hitters who come alongside with those and be and their great spiritual parents. So let's start with our folks that are maybe a bit longer in the tooth. Okay, not saying anything. <laughs> you are all spiritual parents. Just because you're an empty nester doesn't mean that you can't be dropping wisdom bombs left and right to parents who are just in the thick of it. Praying for them, praying for them, dispelling advice to them. Heck, you can just continue on in the faith because you are a living example for a kid to look up at and say, wow, I can follow God for my entire life. And that's impactful, that's special, and it can't be understated. When the opportunity arises for you wise ones, speak life into the younger generation. I can't tell you how much it still means to me for an older person to come up to me and say, hey, you did this really well, or to call something out of me that I've been working on. It means so much. Because words with years of experience behind them, they just mean more to the younger generation. Because we know you've been around the block, that you've seen some stuff. 
and yet you still say something good to me. It's huge. Fellow spiritual parents, thank you so much for entrusting your kids to me to continue training them up in the way that they should go. My small group has full license to parent Harvey whenever he is in need of some good parenting, all right? And I say that because I can say it with confidence that our church body has these three priorities. Number one, we want to see our church's children know and hear God's voice. Number two, we want our kids to have a desire, we have a desire for our kids to obey his voice. And then we also want our kids to obey him through the power of his spirit. Not because we told them to, but because they're listening to his spirit and obeying. Now kids in the room, oftentimes you're gonna get some unwarranted parenting from another spiritual parent in our body and it might catch you off guard. But I wanna read something from Hebrews that I think should encourage you. And it's the message. So it's Hebrews 12, 11. I love the way Eugene Peterson does it in his translation here. I'm gonna read it to you because I think it's so encouraging. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. Hmm, yes. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. And kids, there are moments where you are going to get some training from some other spiritual parents in this room. And it's because they want you to have a mature relationship with God. Next up, I want to talk about the spiritual aunts and uncles in the room, as I like to call them. Those of you who might be in middle school, high school, early college, or maybe you just don't have kids, but you're married. You're the spiritual aunts and uncles in the room. And I have some in my life that are very impactful to Harvey and his walk. And I already know that because I can see it. And I love it. Spiritual aunts and uncles, I don't want to understate how important you are and how important your influence is because kids are watching you. They're taking in your movements, your outfits, your words. They're looking up to you both physically because you're usually taller than them and more importantly, spiritually. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Jesus and his grace abounds, but I simply want to awaken you to the subtle responsibilities that you carry with being part of our church family. I can't tell you how important it is to have some young, faithful men who can show that it is they can lead the Lord, that you can love God, and you can still be hip or young or whatever it is for kids to look up to. It's just so important to have some male role models for our young boys to look up to. And on the flip side, for ladies, I can't tell you how important it is to have some incredible ladies, powerful young women in our church leading worship, preaching, praying, all just while looking so stylish. It's just good. It's good for our girls to see, our young girls to see those models in the room. And that leaves me with the last, but certainly not the least of our groups here in the church. And it's the littles, the wigglers. I love them. So I called this section the reminder. And it's Exodus, it's gonna be up on the, the screen here. It's Exodus 10, or 2012. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, everyone has heard this before. If you grew up in church, you've heard this before. I can't think of a single time 
or honoring my father and mother or anyone chronologically superior to me where it's ended up bad for me. I can't think of a single time where honoring someone did that. But I can think of plenty of scenarios where I dishonored my parents or grandparents and it had some lasting implications, groundings, you know what I mean? Little's in the room. By honoring the people that are older than you, you begin an incredibly important cycle of blessings that can happen in a church family. When we see the wrinkles or the grayed out hair or the canes or the walkers, we need to be going out of our way to honor them because something incredible happens. They begin to celebrate down and they begin to lift you up. They begin to call things out in you that you never saw or maybe you could never see on your own. These older saints are themselves a reminder to us. When I see them, I can't help but think of the faithfulness of God and his promises to us. That he promises to be with us, to sustain us, to propel us for our entire lives here on earth. You wiser saints, you are the tangible reminder of the faithfulness of God. And thank you so much for the parts you are in our body. And the littles, you're our reminders of joy. Yes, joy. The way you run around and laugh and tumble and cry and explode with excitement and sing worship. You're a reminder to me and everyone else in this room that the kingdom of God is strong. It is powerful. And that it's going to be here long after my days here on earth because of the next generation. So look around, church. Each person in this room is a reminder of God's promises to us, his faithfulness to us. And our family only gets better when we do it together.